Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Welcome to a very special episode of A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. And I'm George. And I'm Polly. We are broadcasting live from Route 66 Old School Brewing in Wilmington, Illinois, for the first on-site um, <laughs> on uh, three-barrel project for A Nice Place to Brew. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. The time of this recording is July 2021. Uh, this is really special for us. This is the first time. This is the first live recording the three of us have ever done. That's Mo- together. Moving to uh, moving back to our home podcasting environment, which we've done our webcast for quite some time. I will, I'll talk about that in more detail. But first, uh, some some basics. If you're tuning in for the first time, this is a show about all things beer and beer making. We are home brewers between uh, living between Illinois and Virginia. We talk about all things home brewing on this webcast. This is, a, uh, this is a place where we share stories, share knowledge, and hopefully throughout you know, this you know, the shared conversation here, we all become better brewers. Um, if you're tuning in for the first time, thank you so much for joining us. Check out our back catalog that's available on all the podcasting platforms. Also, we have a YouTube page that has more than a year's worth of webcasts that we've made. So check us out there. There's, there's a lot of material. And joining, of, uh, joining us for the second time on the audio podcast is Mr. Paulie Bidney, the head brewer here at Route 66 Old School Brewing. He's been an amazing resource for the listeners and for George and I as we, as our, as we progress throughout our, our home brewing journeys. So today we are here to make what, Paulie? Uh, an amber ale. Okay. It's a beer, a recipe that three of us developed, uh, what was it, like two months ago now? Yeah, it was like really that. throughout the course of the webcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah we well, did a whole series on exactly. different elements, and each time we we put a little bit more into the recipe. So, but this is an amber ale that we're we're adding uh, molasses to, which I'm kind of excited about. Yeah. So let's back up one second. Um, how was it that we landed on an amber ale as the ideal recipe for the three of us to make today? That's a good question. I think we were just kind of, <laughs> it may have been just the first one on the, on the thing. I don't know. No, <laughs> I really have no idea. <laughs> <It starts laughs> <with an egg. laughs> no, I think it's uh it's one that I don't think either any of us have made in some time. Uh, and I think we, we just decided that that would be a, a good one to do is one of Jason and I were talking recently that is one of the first styles that we made all grain the first one being our our triple of course but then I think we went pretty quickly from there to an amber ale amber ale I think most people would describe as a pretty classic beer style mm-hmm. and we've talked a lot about making the classic styles well yes as a really good sign of somebody's prog- uh, progression throughout their their brewing journeys Right. I mean, and, you know, being able to make a milkshake IPA, right, Polly? Or the <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, a, a super danky IPA, you know, it takes skill, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't take as much, in my opinion, as being able to make a really clean, technically perfect Pilsner or... IPA or pale ale or something where all those different flavors and color and and all that stuff comes into play. It is, it's easy for imperfections to hide in yes. those in those recipes that in, involve more adjuncts, more malts, more hops, things like that. Yeah, for sure. Amber ale, we've got nothing to hide here. Right. 
And we are, what's uh, up? Nothing. I was just saying, taking a taste of this beer I, I poured out a little, a little bit ago. Uh? So I'm saying it's good, this uh, APA that we're sampling right now. Yeah? First beer of the day, going against everything I always say. <laughs> no drinking before the mash. What the hell? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a bad rule, but we're going we're to get there. Um, so the, uh, the let's, let's, you want to run down the recipe, Polly? Oh, yeah. We got, uh, our base grain is going to be some Golden Promise. Our two, uh, got some Caramel 60 for a specialty and a chocolate malt for a specialty. Uh, we got, let me see here. 88% base grain, base grain, 8% uh, 60, and 2% uh, chocolate malt. With okay. uh, molasses, we're going to hop it with Centennial, Cascade, and Cashmere. Uh, uh, ale yeast that we're going to use is uh, British Ale Yeast from Omega, 0YL-006. Rebarrel okay. pitch. Was uh, shipped fresh uh, this week, as a matter of fact. I think I received it on Wednesday. Nice. And uh, the molasses, when's that going in? Uh, it's going in, I would say. Oh, boil. Yeah, okay. Uh, so probably second half of the boil? I think so. It just says boil. I'll have to read that. 80 SRM. Oh, probably at the, probably at the boil. It doesn't say exactly when on the recipe. Okay. Uh but we're doing four pounds of chocolate malt in that. So I'm looking forward to that. Let's maybe talk about how we came to some of these decisions. And let's start off with the malt. Mm-hmm. So the malt profile in this is pale, crystal 60, and chocolate. Mm-hmm. Right. Nothing too complicated there. No. And it's one of the things we talked about is in a style like this, keeping the, keeping the recipe simple. Yeah, so um, Polly's a big fan of uh, Golden Promise, likes to use it a lot as, a, as the pale, so we came down on that. And Can you mention something about that? What's uh, what's kind of uh, built your confidence with the Golden Promise? I don't know. I've, tr- I've tried almost all, all the base grains out there, and Golden Promise is the one, between that one and Roar Pale are the ones that really stick out in my mind if I'm going to use a basic two-row for fermentable sugars. Uh, I mean, there's many others out there you could use, you know, Marisot, or you could use Pilsner malt. You could, I mean, it goes on and on. That's the one thing I, I, I loved working at a homebrew store. You, can't, you always had that choice. Like, we've all been to the Brewing Girl. Hey, actually, George, you need to go to the Brewing Girl while you're here this week. <laughs> go in and say hi. Go in and see the store. You haven't, were you here when they, uh, when they changed around the grain bill or the grains now? They're not selling no. by the pound. You should see we've got a whole wall of grain. Yeah, I know. I, I, I have not seen that. It's a really nice upgrade there. Yeah. Let, one last thing about Golden Promise. Could you re- mention a couple of styles that are really ideal for that base malt? Uh, almost any good ale, IPA. Uh, I, started, I started using it on my hazies at first when I started brewing with those until I read somewhere that a lot of people are using Pilsner malt on that. So that's when I made the change to use Pilsner malt on um, hazies and everything. So, so and, but, but is it fair to say that Golden Promise is a little bit more flavor. of an ale? Well, yes, and, and an ale, like a light ale style. Mm-hmm. So uh, whereas Maris Otter tends to be really good for the darker ales and Pilsen yep. Yep. tends to be really good for lagers. I, I can agree with you on that one. Okay. So let's move on to Caramel 60. Caramel 60. Uh, 60 Lumabon. Until you get a little bit of sweetness and color. Mainly uh, all your caramel and crystal additions are usually just for color adjustment. You know, mm-hmm. like this one right here. This is a 
uh, Citra Pale Ale I've been doing for years, and it normally, I wish I had the recipe with me, but I, I had a substitute, I was out of honey malt when I, when I was brewing this, so I did a game day decision, threw some uh, crystal at it, and it darkened it up a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't seen a pale, pale ale this dark in a long time. That's true. It's it's definitely, if it's, it it's not as pale as a, yeah. <laughs> so this is roughly about not between 9 and 10% of our total grain bill, the crystal. Uh, yes, 8%. Which is eight percent, which is a good uh, amount. Typically, with like crystal malts, you want to keep them between five and ten. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? So um, otherwise, they they get too sweet sometimes. Right. Polly brought up a good point about the color adjustment being a big part of it, mm-hmm. and because caramel ranges from ten SRM to I think hundred and twenty is the top. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all going to depend on just how much color you need to do to your beer. And the tools that we have for recipe building, like Beersmith, which we're all loyal to, are great for measuring what that's going to contribute. Yeah. And rounding it out with chocolate. Chocolate, chocolate malt. malt. Uh, mainly for color. A little bit of flavor. Uh, I don't know why we decided to use chocolate. but Well, I think it was for color mostly. But yeah, I think so. In, and, and as such in this, the, the amount of chocolate malt is kept really low because... One, we didn't want it to be too dark, and number two, we didn't want uh, a bunch of roasty notes to get exactly. into our into our amber ale. It's not quite to style, so. Yep. Yeah. We, we wanted to make a, a brown, brown porter or a stout. We put throw a lot more in there. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. All right, we're going to come back around to the molasses because I think this is one of the more interesting additions that we have to this recipe. Mm-hmm. All right, hops. Uh, bitter with Centennial. Uh, then we're going to flavor and aroma with Cascade and Cashmere, which Cashmere. I've used this once before. I kind of like the hop. Uh, mm-hmm. I bought some of it. I think I got a, I think I got a little bit extra because I don't remember how much I could buy, but one pound or however many pounds I got. Uh, so I like, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking, really looking forward to using this British ale yeast. I've never used it from Omega yet. So this will okay. be a true test on that. Yep. Yeah. The Centennial, just a super good, nice, clean, bittering hop. Um, Cascade, one of my personal favorites. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Cashmere tends to put in some really nice notes um, when used as a late addition. Mm-hmm. And uh, never fails to put Led Zeppelin in my head. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you and many others. <laughs> right? So, yeah. And then uh, the yeast. Yeah. I yeah. mean, anybody ever, have you guys ever used a British ale yeast from Omega? Not from Omega, Not from but Omega. there are comparable ones with the other companies, uh-huh. and I have used those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think of the last uh, stout I made, I used a British ale yeast. Okay. And, uh, yeah, but not from Omega. So are they still doing – so you got on their commercial side, I assume. Correct. Um, so th- do they still recommend against doing a starter with the amount of – uh, cells that they throw at things. You know what? I never really asked them that. To I be don't honest know with if you. Omega is one of those. They were at least back in the day. They were okay. Yes, they recommended against doing a starter um, because of I how many cells were in there. I think if you reach two hundred million uh, or two hundred billion cells in one of those packs, that's where the recommendation kicks in. I think. Right. Yeah, and there's one over by Richmond that is the same way. They they R- RVA right RVA yeah they recommend against using a starter. 
Well, actually, I just found something about this week. You, are you guys familiar with Imperial yeast? Yes. yes. It, it comes in a little can, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they now have a second location on the East Coast in Philadelphia. Really? Oh. Yes, because okay. I was, I don't know what got me looking at them the other day. I've been really curious about using them a lot just because it's a yeast company I haven't used. And the only thing that steered me away from it was this overnighted from California. And our friends over at Metal Monkey used it once. And they said the shipping on that alone was Oof. twice as much as a beer. Oof. $300 <laughs> for shipping from California. Ouch. That's that's rough. <laughs> yeah, the um, there's actually another one, too, that's a bit up and coming. They're over in the, Del- in the Dulles area in Virginia. They're called Jasper. Okay. And uh, they're, they're, they've got some good stuff going as well. And Colorado has got a really good yeast company. I think it's Colorado Brewing Institute, okay. CBI or something like that. I know uh, – our friend Brian Shimkos used to use it a lot, and all uh, his stuff over there at uh, Blue Island okay. Beer Company. But getting back to our selection of the British Imperial, um, it's what's that going to add as far as flavor notes to the to the beer, Polly? Oh, it's just going to be like a British style ale, really. I mean, you think about it, British ale, like every yeast has got a different region. Mm-hmm. So I, I got a feeling the British, and I like British ale for stouts and porters. And uh, for a whiff, before I made that change with Kavik, I was using British ale yeast on all my hazies. Mm-hmm. British ale, like three, I think it was, from Y yeast. So doesn't British ale come out a little bit cleaner, but it also has a little bit of a... Uh, kind of an earthy mm-hmm. kind of texture to it as well as um it's gonna sound um bad in the beginning until i can find a better word for it but um i've uno- i've noticed with the british styles that they tend to ha- be a little uh they have like a a sharpness to them like kind of a tinny kind of flavor to mm-hmm. it. Does that make sense? And it, by itself, that sounds bad, but when you combine that with the really malt-forward beers it's designed to work with, it, you know, that kind of complements that, that sharp flavor complements the sweet, malty flavors that are in there, and really makes it come out quite nice. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to using it. Haha. Just hopefully we get our water, co- <laughs> our work cool enough. Damn it. <laughs> well, that's, uh, yeah. we'll get it. I'm not too worried about it. We'll get her. Okay. We always do. This is quite a scale up from what we're used to, George. It is. Yeah, we're going from five gallons to uh, what? Three barrel. Two right. and a half. Rough. Two, and a, two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. All right. So it's yeah. like seventy-five gallons or something like that. I think. Hold on. Let me do the math. <laughs> I'll, I'll think call I that a scale this. up. Yeah, call that a scale up for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I mean, Jason and I have both helped out in breweries before, and Polly, you know, this is you know something you you do for a living now. Yeah. So, um, you know, as far as moving from home brew to professional brew, seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. Okay. Yep. So there's some marked differences in what you're doing. Scale being one of them, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Polly, as as someone who's made that transition, what has been the most surprising to you as far as what is not different? What is not different? If that makes sense. I see what you're getting at. Prob, what's not different from home brewing to pro brewing? What is not different? That's hard to say because when you think about it, I mean, there's things I've always known about as a home brewer but didn't do it. 
Right. But then I start then I started doing it when I started working here. Like one thing was water chemistry. I would always just get bottled water or spring water or tap water, not really worry about it as much. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't sending my water out to a laboratory to get tested, <laughs> you know, and have it come back. And then next thing you know, I plug it into my computer, then all of a sudden, click, click, click. I got everything I need right in my hand, right at my fingertips. And I love it. Yeah. Makes life easier. Like our friend uh, Sean McTee said, when my very first solo brew day here, I was fucking nervous as hell. Oh, my God. And he came to help me. And uh, he was like, man, Polly, I couldn't. I know when, when they when they were doing their very first batch, there was three of them, and they were scared to death. He's like, I can only imagine what you're going through right now. <laughs> so he came down to kind of be moral support, really, of everything, to make sure it was all good, help me mix some of my, miss some of my hiccups. And my first brew day was kind of long. And they're getting, you know, well, besides the weather right now, they're actually getting easier and easier. Some of these brew days, I like, I'll walk, I'll be like, I'm like, it's like four hours in and I'm already almost done. I'm like, wait a minute, there's something's going to go wrong. This has gone <laughs> way too fucking smooth. <laughs> we've all had that feeling. Like, you're like, wait, how have I gotten, what, what step did I miss? Yeah, I, I know, missed right? something. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. And one, I guess one thing I have noticed is uh, I've been hitting my numbers more and more every time. Ever since That's I started good. here, I probably, probably can count on one hand when my numbers are low than what they're estimated. Okay. And I'm usually right either dead nuts on or a few points higher every time. So if I can do that consistently like I have been, keep it coming. There you go. And it's just you here. Mm-hmm. I would love it if we were able to hire somebody, please. <laughs> I, think well, that, oh, yeah. I think that speaks very highly to the practices that you've adopted. Mm-hmm. You know, being that you're able to handle this yourself. And second of all, the product is showing that. Yeah. You're not missing numbers. You're kicking out beers that people are coming out and drinking. Yet, so. get, people are drinking too much, but you fuckers quit drinking so much beer. <laughs> <laughs> what we call good problems yeah, exactly. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, first world problems right there <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in, in in you had said something in the, that i just want to touch on quick is a lot of people when a, when a brewery first opens they'll go and if it's not exactly what they're expecting or it's not really perfect it will turn them off from going back in you know ever again which i i get you want to if someone's opening a professional thing you you want them to know what they're doing and make good product but one of the things that we know as home brewers is it takes a while to get used to and your your equipment yeah and for sure you know even when we get we get a new kettle and it's slightly bigger than the other one and our boil off rate's different and things like that. so i mean scale that up to two and a half, three, seven barrel, and any small thing that they need to dial in is going to dramatically affect what's going on. Uh, And so, I mean, one of the things I've noticed is if a brewery starts up and they're a little rough in the beginning, maybe it's okay to take a step back and give them some time. And if they make it and, you know, you go back in six months, you're going to get a much different product and most likely a much better product than, than your original, what you originally tried. So, I certainly have seen examples of that. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. About, you know, just there being hiccups when things start off. And, For sure. You know, listen, 
things don't always go according to plan, especially on the onset where there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that are happening for the very first time to a lot of people. Yeah, and and I mean, let's be honest about this. We can be a bit judgy when you know oh, when sure. we when we make it and we're like we're making it in a friggin' ig- igloo cooler and I'm making better stuff than this guy, you know, and it's like, all right, give him a second, you know, <laughs> it's right. And, uh, you know, the, the market will determine if they are able to survive and if they are, chances are good. They're going to get better. You know, one golden rule that I always have with a fairly new brewery, if I go there the very first time and they're brand spanking new, mm-hmm. you know, within the first month, if you, you think the beers are just okay or they're all off, always give them some time. Give mm-hmm. them like six months to a year. And then if, when you go back that next time, if you haven't had any, heard any good reviews on it, but then you go and then you go back and it's still the same crap as before, and then you can write them off. Then so, you can be judgy. Yeah. No, yeah. I, would not, I, would, I would say don't ever, don't ever write off a brewery if, if you don't like them the first time, especially if they open. But if it's a well-established place and it's still the same old crap, go ahead, judge all you want. <laughs> <laughs> so to come full circle on this, here's a great measuring stick for a brewery at any stage that they're at. Order something clean, something mm-hmm. like a Pilsner or like an Amber Ale, which we're making today. There's nothing that's going to hide any imperfections in those beers. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to get a sense for how dialed in a brewery's technique is, look for one of those styles. Yeah. I would agree with that totally. Yeah, for sure. And if they're, if they're a, a, a trendy brewery, well, then you're screwed. Yeah. Because no, <laughs> yes. they're just not going to have one? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. For sure. So. so we got nothing to hide from here, boys. No. We, no. We've got to do things right. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been doing this for a little while. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be all right. Yeah. Right. So. There's right. always a way, you know, there's, the one thing I have learned b- between home and pro is if you screw something up, nine out of ten times you can fix it. One way or another. That's good. You know, it's, it's hard to throw away four or $500 batch of beer. But a thirty, forty dollar batch of beer, yeah, it's gonna suck, and you're gonna be bitch at yourself. You gotta brew it again, but you can at least take that a little bit more than yeah. a whole batch. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's probably worth mentioning too about some of those things that you really can't recover from. Mm-hmm. And probably right at the top of that list is sanitation. Yeah, yeah. infection. Right. Yeah. There's no sure. coming back from that. Oh, you can always just call a sour. <laughs> or a farmhouse. <laughs> a farmhouse. Oh, man. That's one way. If you need less of a reason to order a farmhouse ale, That's there you it. go. <laughs> now you have one. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I've noticed with uh, um, professional brewers that I've helped out with is, uh, you know, back to scale a little bit. Uh, it's not so much scale of you know, the fermenters or the mash tons or anything, but ingredients, man, the, you know, we're talking about bags upon bags oh, of, yeah. of grain. We ground up our, our grain yesterday and it was 170 some pounds of, base, of base, of, uh, of just base grain. Yeah. And, you know, so it was grinding that up, make, you know, putting it in a transportable way so we could get back to the brew house and because if you have one that'll grind directly into your mash tun, I mean, you're fortunate, but it's <laughs> it's a rare thing to have at our, at oh, our yeah. level. So I can only, I can only think of 
No, I think about maybe two breweries, pro breweries in this area that actually have a grain hopper. A grain hopper, yeah. Yeah. One yeah. of them's Hailstorm, and the other one's Metal Monkey. Metal Monkey has a well, grain they, hopper. They've got that chute that uh-huh. goes in from the other room. Exactly. Okay. I've never seen that in action before. I it looks either. amazing. <laughs> and I, I do know what Hailstorm does, which I think is a really cool idea, is you can order you can order what they call super bags. You can order your you can order your recipe pre 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 uh, mixed already. So, like say, like I I, I recall Country Mall, and we're say we're gonna brew this beer. And this is another thing I gotta think of really quick, guys, before the end of the day. Uh, hey, Rick, uh, n- name this. We gotta name this today. Yeah, we gotta. That's an important part. Yes. Don't yeah. let me at it because I'm gonna make up something silly. That's like, true. Fine here. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 when you're thinking the scale, you have to think about not only just it's a crap ton of work, but it's a crap ton of stuff to get to a crap ton of work. So <laughs> keep that in mind. And yeah. a lot of waiting. Well, a lot of waiting. A lot of waiting. And 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 probably one of the things we talked about this morning was. Uh, a solid inventory system oh, yes. is is definitely something that is very beneficial to you know your brewing efforts and making sure that you have what you need when you need it and things like that. So. Another reference back to Beersmith. They do have tools for that. They do, yes. Do you yeah. use that? I started to, but then all of a sudden, like, we got real busy playing catch-up, and that's just one of the things, like, inventory's been something I've been playing by the wayside. Mm. And it's funny because I was going to have our, our buddy Ellis – uh, come help me with the inventory because that's what he used to do for his job and it's just right now you know with catfish days coming up our little the town uh, festival we're we're ramping up for that so I've been focusing on focusing on that like hell I think I'm gonna be brew fuck it's gonna be fucking four times four times in a week within the wow. week I brewed on Thursday or is it Friday no I brewed on Friday Brewing today, and then next week, I got those other two empty ones. They have to be full. Wow. So I am. Well, my plan this week is, and keep in mind, this all got to be done by Thursday, end of day, because I can't. I can't brew on Friday, so I have to package up both keg, both fermenters, uh, clean both fermenters, get everything ordered, and beer into them. So huh. my plan tomorrow is cleaning kegs. I'm going to package that one. And then tonight when we get done, we're going to have a little bit. You guys are going to give me a hand doing a little bit more setup. Because once we get everything cleaned up, we have to go get all the kegs. And, well, we got some of the kegs in the, in the brew house. We got to get the other kegs in the brew house. Go grab the, the table, my, my uh, keg cleaning table. Bring that in. I won't be able to set it up because half the crap... No, I won't. Half the crap we need is going to be soaking overnight so in PBW. If listening to Polly here tells you anything, is being a pro brewer is not all entering competitions and winning awards. Like there is a lot of a lot of work, back end planning and cleaning and transitioning and stuff like that. That is pretty intense. Let me ask you this: What percentage of your job? here at Route 66 is cleaning. 90. I, <laughs> that's kind of what I expected. You know, yeah. like we have keg cleaning day. I dedicate a whole day to cleaning kegs. 
yeah. a whole day to cleaning up her matter. And when I when I get a little squirrely, like I'm gonna do tomorrow, you know, I'm gonna have ten kegs clean, beer package, and and keg uh, or tank clean, ready for sanitation by the time I walk out of here tomorrow. So Dang. for all the listeners out there who are home brewers or whatever your level of brewing is, that should speak to all of us mm-hmm. because regardless of what level you're at, you are constantly cleaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the only way to make sure that you get good, clean beers, you know? Yep. And speaking of uh, competitions, uh, this week I'm dropping off my Great American Beer Festival entries. Nice. I, got, I get another, and another, here's one little perk of going to working for a brewery. You get to go to breweries and hang out and be on the clock for it and get paid. Yeah, market research. Market know? research, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, we, I get to go to the, new, the brand new Noon Whistle location this week in Naperville. I mean, hell, oh, if yeah. a if a travel agent can go to a resort and write it off as a as a business expense, you can drink a damn beer and you know write it off. I'm good. I'm good with that. You know, <laughs> oh man, I I won't be able to go to Denver this year because uh, Tina and Steve are going to be gone, and we yeah. we all came to the agreement that not all three of us can be away from the brewery at one time. Place might burn down. Hell, my days, when the days I'm not here, I'm worried. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I guess it's a good thing if I don't get a text message from anybody from here that day. They're actually leaving me the fuck alone for a day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hell, I was down at Indianapolis, uh, down in Indianapolis, Memorial Day weekend on the race day. Tina's texting me, asking me questions. Of course, she's apologizing about it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, it's okay. I mean, we were t- it, was, it was a quick you know, response. It wasn't like, oh no, something's boiling over. Your tank exploded. That, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, the, the, your walking cooler is not working. We're about to lose thousands and thousands of dollars worth of the product and ingredients. <laughs> yeah. Mm. That was a stressful couple days. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I always, yeah. And then having to sit here and drink warm beer on top of it. It was not fun. <laughs> I actually felt bad for our bartender Lauren that day. Yeah, she's having she's having to serve warm beer to people, and then we just decided because it was uh, the cooler was at sixty degrees. We'll just tell them all it's like British style. Yeah, we were know? saying we were yeah. European, European yeah. ale. Yeah, there you go. European ale brewery this just for the day. <laughs> just for the day. <laughs> try something different. So yeah. And speaking of that, I'm gonna go check the temp. Okay. I'll be right back. Yeah, Polly's going to go, he's checking the, temper, the temperature of the strike water, because after this, we're going to be mashing in and getting going on our recipe. So Start the clock on the brew day. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So we have an empty microphone, and I will invite our good friend Uncle Rick to take Polly's spot, and he can introduce himself officially to the audio podcast. Oh, but nope, Polly's back. <laughs> All right, Rick, I'm going to use the restroom now. Okay. Uncle Rick, like George and I, is a longtime student of Polly. Is that a fair <laughs> statement? Sure. Polly, uh, a little closer. Polly really helped me get going. You know, starting brew. You know, starting brewing. I guess I'd say more often. I brewed a few times with, with other people, but I, I don't know. Brewing to me has always been. A little more uphill than some things. I don't know why. It's just it's been difficult. I can relate to that, and obviously, my you know you you're in a technical related career. I'm in a, a you know finance and accounting related career. These are things that are 
very different in nature than what's done here in a in a brewery you know in this in this type of setting so i very much understand you know just kind of the, the climb upwards to understanding and doing everything properly i i th i think it's like the to me the hard part for me the hard part was the gap between you're making something that makes something so you have like a big loss of control between mm. the product as you hand it off and the end product that's true and that to me was like that was the scary part the hard part it still perplexes me i guess i'd say you know but you're not wrong i mean we do all this work we do all this chemistry and then we hand it off to single-celled organisms to do their thing and not <laughs> screw it up and, <laughs> and, and our funny, job is then making a setting for them to consume I was everything gonna say the right. funny part is they know what they're doing better than we do sometimes. <laughs> like, they just have one job. They're real freaking good at it as long as they have the right environment. So, <laughs> you, you, at times, homebrewers, they, they don't end up with exactly the taste they were going for, but occasionally it exceeds that. Oh, for sure. You know, so it, it, it is interesting, you know, like you say, in every recipe, you you start all over, you know, from mm -hmm. square one with that same uh, issue. Yeah. So what is what homebrew is available at Uncle Rick's house? Oh, none currently. Oh no. Okay. Oh, no. All right. What was uh, what's most recently finished up? Um, that harvest ale. Okay. Okay. That was the last one. That was that was a while back. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about projects that? Projects in between. Um. Jeez, we just we just you know entered the competition and picked something out that we thought was uh, well you know, what did, a little different. What went into it? Do you it remember up? any of the like the the green bill or you anything? know honest I don't because okay. Randy initially came up with it and I believe that was the point in Beersmith where I was showing Randy how you move the sliders because mm -hmm. he 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 was adjusting the recipe and getting frustrated because. He, he, you know, if one thing would go into the red, then an, he'd change something, and another thing <laughs> would go into the red. And, yeah, we've all been if there. If you know Beersmith, you'll know what I'm talking about. And and uh, I showed him how you can just move the sliders to kind of get the recipe to, t you know, build itself, sort of. And then that's when we came up with it. But I, I honestly, it's been so long a time ago, I don't recall. Because it was what we did, we come up with the recipe a day or two after the comp was announced. Mm -hmm. So that's been a while back. Okay. What are some homebrew-related things that you're thinking about these days? Do you have a recipe in mind that you're interested in making, certain upgrades to your system? What's kind of next? Honestly, uh, uh, Randy and I both, and a lot of people we know, really like that uh, Founders Mosaic Promise IPA. Okay. That smash. Yes. And we've made it quite a few times, and it... it disappears fairly fast <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh so that's kind of i guess going to be like a, a a house brew at, at my house once i kind of get been doing some home projects when hopefully soon get back into brewing some more and it's well, okay and and some people are like are, are down on clone beers but uh let me let me float this one a little bit it's for me it's kind of like making one of those classic styles if you can make a clone beer that tastes as good as or better than the commercial product, then, I mean, that's a good testament to the fact that you've got good processes and, and you know what you're doing. It's a good gauge of that. 
so long as <laughs> what you're drinking from the commercial side is any good. <laughs> but <laughs> that's if you can do that, that is a good uh, a good gauge for for homebrewers to to kind of mark themselves against. I would say in approximately five attempts, I'd say twice we we liked the taste of what we made better than there you go the, the commercial product. Always great to hear. Nice. By you know again just kind of playing with the recipe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, putting recipes together is, is a lot of fun. So that's where the pure creativity comes. To be honest with you. Well, um, Paul is saying that that's where the creativity comes in. So I'd say that plus you know, for for guys like me, I, I really enjoy the uh, what. How do we get from A to B stuff? Like you know, it do. How do I upgrade my equipment in order to be able to support different techniques and things? So the more MacGyver side of things, and that's that's a lot of fun for me as well. There is a past episode in our pod, in our podcast backlog that's titled mm-hmm. "The Best Things About Homebrewing," and mm-hmm. we talk about this in great detail. We do, yeah. For and sure. th- these are two things that did come up. You mm-hmm. know, the recipe development, the getting from A to B, and on and so on and so forth. There's a lot of lot of other good things out there that we talked about on that episode. So, well worth checking out. Yeah. Can you imagine years ago before they had tools like Beersmith when they had to manually calculate the recipes? And I believe at that time, kegging was kind of rare too, if I'm not mistaken. It was a majority of home brewers bottled back then. I that's think a, so. That's a good question. I wonder how, or at, at what time, uh, having homebrew homebrew beer and kegs became practical at that scale. I think it was when those corny kegs um, that were originally used for soda in the soda fountains before they did the syrups in the in the cartridges. Uh, I think it's when those stopped being used for the soda fountains that that really started to take off and they started to come up with different attachments for homebrewing and things for that. So... Not exactly sure when that was, though. I want to say it was maybe 70s or 80s, but yeah. Yeah, because they've been around for a while. But designing a recipe back then had to be extremely difficult, if you think about it. Yeah, man. I watched somebody on our uh, video podcast in real time. I don't remember who it was. Uh, One of those super smart uh, guys that came in, uh, and he did a... um, uh, IBU calculation for hops in his head, and I was like, I, "No, you—that's not a thing people do." Like, <laughs> and so I mean, prior to um, was, uh, you know, some some people were just able to do that in their head. Like Jason, still—I mean, blows me away sometimes. I can give him two numbers, and he can tell me the ABV, you know, within a reasonable margin of error. So, yeah. Amazing. A lot of uh, handwriting and calculations and things that we don't have to deal with these days. We about mashed in? Uh, we were at 157. 157. We're 100% ready to go. So once we get there, I'm just getting a brew uh, sheet going for us. So nice. It's like easier on us. Nice. Because I that's like not... to keep it the old school way and not 100% rely on my computer. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's another thing that doesn't change. Brew journals are brew journals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. Very so. true. All right. We are going to move on and get our brew day started very quickly here. 
I'm so glad this came together, you mm -hmm. know, that we'll, we're able to record here in a, you know, first person setting for the very first time. We look forward to more podcasts. Check out our back catalog when you have a chance. Available on all the podcasting platforms. Check out our social media pages under A Nice Place to Brew and Nice Place to Brew. And last, check out our YouTube page for our past webcasting episodes. We've got a lot of material out there, and we've got a lot more coming. All things beer and beer making. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Before we sign off, we raise a glass, and we say, George, send us out. It takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Cheers, everyone. Cheers.